Hello and welcome back to After Whistle Sports. Uh, I'm joined by Jonathan Litzkin again um, for, I think this is our, yeah, it's our first, because we missed last week, this is our first um, game day preview, um, weekly recaps again. We'll probably still, um, at least me and Jack, will probably still go more in depth with our conference overviews because we are a little bit behind on that too, but um, I'm excited uh, to have you on, and uh, uh, thanks for finding the time we can do this before the yeah, game. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Dylan. Yeah, so let's just start with what happened last week. We're recording this right now on Tuesday. We have games for week one officially starting on Thursday, but we had some interesting week zero outcomes, um, probably the most interesting, and I know that we have some um, Husker fans that listen to this. So, <laughs> unfortunately, we do have to spend some time talking about Scott Frost's, um, I don't, I'm not going to say blunder, because, I mean, this is to be expected at this <laughs> point from him, but Nebraska losing to Northwestern in Ireland in pretty terrible fashion, um, questionable decisions, really poor second half play. Oh, John, what is the... Like, what is the preferred outcome, I guess, for the rest of the season, like the outlook for well, Scott Frost in Nebraska? I still feel like every game that they play on their schedule is a winnable game just because of how Nebraska has played football for the last two years and really since Scott Frost has gotten to Nebraska. But, like, that October 1st date where Scott Frost's buyout dropped from $15 million to $7.5 million, it seems like almost just a waiting game at the, at this point, you know, they have North Dakota this, this week, Oklahoma week three, some key big 10 games, obviously after that, and their schedule gets really hard late in the year. But after, after Saturday, it feels like what little hope their fan, the Nebraska fans have left for Scott Frost just completely disappeared. That like Northwestern did play much better than, I think most people thought they were going to, and they looked much like a much better team specifically on the offensive and defensive line than we thought. But, you know, like you, if, if you're Nebraska, you can't get beat up up front like that. Like that, that's supposed to be like one of your, your strengths. And, you know, they just got bullied on, on both sides of the line. Yeah. I'll start my Nebraska monologue because, um, I was saying it, I think I mentioned it um, over the offseason a little bit, that I actually really liked Nebraska on paper. Mm -hmm. um, they, they have a solid roster. I like Casey Thompson. I think Casey Thompson was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I thought the new OC, Mark Whipple, was, was also pretty solid in the first half. Now, in the second half, there are other problems with the offense. But in the first half, that team, they, I mean, they looked good, and I was really impressed with what the offense was, the the high tempo, like it was like a mini air raid almost, and, and they seemed to be getting whatever they wanted. Now, yeah. the game changed for me, and of course this is the big controversy, but it was the um, onside kick in the third quarter when Nebraska was up by 11. Uh, Scott Frost said after the game that it was his, that was his decision, like that's not on the, um, the new special teams coach that they hired, which um they didn't have in past years which is crazy to say out loud but uh new special teams coach didn't make the call that was scott frost and you said that it seems like nebraska could win every game on their schedule 
Mm -hmm. I'm almost going to take the opposite approach. It seems like Nebraska can lose every they, game play. That's also every true. It does go both ways. Yeah. Every time they step on the field, it feels like, how are they going to put themselves in a position to maybe lose this game? And to me, that's a reflection on nobody else but Coach Scott Frost. I mean, we've seen it year in, year out. He's changed coordinators. He's changed quarterbacks. What has been the constant? It's been Scott big, Frost. Scott Frost, yeah. I, I've personally thought that he needed to win a bowl game this year. Um, yeah. To I even mean, keep his job. To, like, if you listen, if he doesn't win six games this year, he is gone. Like, he, he is beyond gone. Um, um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure he's going to get through six games at, the, at this rate, but. Yeah, I still think that they can win six games. I just think the nature of the Big Ten West this year is that these teams are going to be beating each other up. And so I think he can win six games. Mm -hmm. But let's just go back and think about what that means. Like, at this point in year four of Scott Frost, is is that really the bar they want to be at? And, like, I feel like we keep lowering the bar every year and he keeps losing worse games and so we keep yeah. rolling it even more like was if they don't fire him is next you're going to be winning five games like what is the correct way to um look at him and what's the leash that they should give him because i think there are good coaches that can win games at nebraska like this isn't like they're in the big tennis they're not maryland they're not Rutgers. right yeah they okay. They're not in the SEC West, like, or they're 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 not even in in like one of the I think the coastal ACC coastal. Like, I would argue that's even a better division than the Big Ten West. But mm -hmm. this is a division where you can win seven or eight games, and Absolutely. you have the resources. And they stacked top twenty five recruiting classes. I think almost every year Scott Frost has been that they've had top thirty top thirty five recruiting classes, which yeah. again that's good enough to win games, and to lose to a. Still, I think that Northwestern's a, a far um, weaker team than, than Nebraska, but it's just bad. And I think it's due to coaching. I think it's due to the state of the program and the culture that's been set by Scott Frost. I don't want to rag too much on Nebraska fans because, I mean, again, they have to watch the games each week. Mm -hmm. But Scott Frost is, is on the hottest, hottest seat in yeah. college football right now. Yeah, I mean, if if he's not number one on the hot seat, then who is? But like, just to not not to try to intentionally throw gasoline on the fire, but like, this is a Northwestern team that we we, we say that stat at the beginning of the season about the point differential, right? How Nebraska outscored opponents last year, even though they went three and nine. The reason they did that was in large part because they beat this Northwestern team by forty, and now now they come out week zero and in Europe and, and lose to them, like it, we've reached a point of no return in my opinion. Yeah. The, the excuses to me seem to be running out. If it was up to me, I would have not let Scott Frost get on the plane back to the United States. I would like to yeah. pull him right back there. <laughs> like oh, he, can, he, he can lead some like second level Irish soccer team to like a three and 12 record, but like, don't come back to Nebraska. And, and now <laughs> they got, and now they got to turn around and play a solid FCS team this week. So, like, yeah. it's it's not a cakewalk. Yep. Let's go on. I just want to ask if you have any takeaways from some of the other games. I just wanted to mention that um, there are some really, really bad teams in the group of five level this year. That was yeah, there, there really are. 
And so I was following all the games throughout the day just because, like, it's week zero and, like, it's the first week of college football. I was excited. So one one game I actually watched pretty extensively because I bet on it was Illinois-Wyoming. And I actually, like, Wyoming, don't get me wrong, is a really bad team, but Illinois fans can't take for granted what, what they did. They looked pretty good. And I know Isaiah Williams got hurt and was just cramping. He, he avoided a major injury there, but – it looks like Illinois is probably going to be able to run, run the ball at least a little, and they just their, their pass defense should probably keep them in, in some games against better teams. So, yeah, I, I agree. I really liked Illinois. Um, one of the more like technical aspects that I noticed when I was watching this game is how well the blocking was from every <laughs> position. Like tight ends were great, offensive line was really good, but the wide receivers did a great job of of setting the edge and being able to match the physicality um on the perimeter which was something that like i was expecting to see a little bit more last year from this team um that's like the classic brett bielema style is like he wants yeah. physicality at every position so i was uh i was surprised to see like i'm not surprised i was pleasantly surprised just to, to see how well they played up front wyoming is terrible they're a really bad team i think their quarterback went what like five for 20 in the first half or something yeah they had like 60 passing yards or something horrendous like that yeah but no, they're they're terrible <laughs> the the mountain the one thing that i noticed this weekend and it's it wasn't just wyoming it was the fact that utah state was let yukon hang around and it was nevada letting new mexico state hang around the mountain west the gap between the top four teams in that conference and the rest of the conference is going to be large like you're going to see fresno state Air Force, San Diego, State, yeah. San Diego State, and Boise State win some games by like forty in that league. Oh yeah, um, Nevada. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but like that was once a respectable, a respectable football location. Mm-hmm. They were really, really bad. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. They were terrible. Yeah. They, that um, was not good. One last thing I wanted to touch on because I thought this was really funny, but Vanderbilt absolutely mm-hmm. demolished Hawaii. Um, on the Big Island, they won. I think yeah, sixty-three to ten. Yeah. Just a uh, alert here: Hawaii plays Michigan. Uh, yeah, two <laughs> weeks. Week two. It'll they, be JJ McCarthy's game. Michigan might hit triple digits. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. No, like right. actually though, especially with the. We'll talk about this later because I, I thought you might want to talk about this as well. But the quarterback situation where Michigan's starting Cade and then JJ. That gives an extra incentive for the quarterback who's playing to really run up the score, I feel mm-hmm. like. So this could be a dangerous one. Uh, let's move on to Thursday's games. And the way I want to do this is maybe go through um, some of these, give our picks predictions, maybe go give a, um, a spread prediction or gambling advice. But again, as the listeners know, we do this every week. And We've been pretty solid some weeks, but again, like we've also went like oh for t- we went like three for twenty on some of them. So, uh, do not please take these with some uh, of that in mind. That we're usually usually pretty solid, but mm-hmm. we can we can make some mistakes. But Central Michigan, Oklahoma State. Um, I feel like it was what six years ago that. Or maybe less at Central Michigan went Hail Mary, yeah. on the Hail Mary on Oklahoma State. Yeah. Do you see any of that happening this year? Um, so Central Michigan's actually a team that I got to see play last year because they played week one at Mizzou. They're not awful. They're the problem they lost a lot of offensive linemen, which mm-hmm. could be 
pretty key against an Oklahoma State defense that's lining up Brock Martin and Colin Oliver opposite sides of that line. I don't think Oklahoma State is going to score very much at all, like at all this year. Losing Tay Martin, a guy who had 120 targets last year, is a lot to replace. And then, of course, they lost Jalen Warren, their stud running back, too. I would lean Central Michigan on on the points here. Twenty one and a half, I think, is a lot in in week one, especially for a Central Michigan team that was overall pretty solid, one of the better MAC teams last year. Yeah, um, I actually like that one too. Uh, Central Michigan actually is they do a nice job of fielding just solid teams year in year out. Yeah, um, they have a very good system that that they run. It's kind of like. I mean, you know what you're going to get when you play Central Michigan. Now, yeah. from Oklahoma State standpoint, and I mentioned this when I talked with Jack on the um, on our Big 12 overview, but we were both really high on Oklahoma State. I think my my main reason was that their defense should again be um, really good, uh, and so I think let's see, I'm interested to see what their offense looks like with kind of like the the new guys they have at wideout. But I think this is going to be one of the like slower games to start off with. I think it's going to be a defensive battle most of the time, and then Oklahoma State's going to end up winning by like fourteen or seventeen. Yeah, I think this is probably a game that maybe maybe if you're if you're a two TV person on Thursday night, this is probably on your second second TV at least to start to start the night. Yeah, let's move on to probably the game I'm most excited for that night is West mm-hmm. Virginia Pitt. Yeah, bringing bringing back the backyard rods. It's... Yeah, I I love it. Like it's pits pits sold out. Um, their their stadium it was like the first time ever they still sold out a game for a pit game. Yeah, again, I'm gonna start off with first of all, the line is pit minus seven and a half. And mm-hmm. um, if you listen to our Big Twelve preview, you heard that both Jack and I were very um very low on west virginia i think i had west virginia as like maybe the worst team besides kansas in the big 12 coming into the season uh and i'm gonna kind of stick with that that logic here i think pittsburgh is still a good enough offense even with the loss of mark whipple and kenny pickett uh to put up a ton of points on west virginia whose defense was pretty solid a few years ago, but like again, last year they weren't very good and I, they didn't add very much to their defense. I don't know. Do I trust JT Daniels? Um, not too much. It's, it's funny though, because the JT Daniels Keaton Slovis matchup. So <laughs> it's basically the, the X USC game. I like Pitt minus seven and a half. I think West Virginia just doesn't have enough gas in the tank to, to keep up with Pitt. Yeah, I usually try to put one teaser down every week, and this game is the first part of my teaser. I tease Pitt down to, I think, minus one when it was at seven. But I'm with you. I don't think this West Virginia team is really good. I keep hearing people say that JT Daniels just needs a chance, but he's now gotten beat out by Keaton Slovis and Stetson Bennett. So there's that aspect to it. I think Dante Stills is maybe the only good player on this on this West Virginia defense. So Pitt running the ball might not be be great because he'll be clogging up some lanes, but Pitt will probably be more pass heavy anyway. And but, I think I think this Pitt defense is also vastly improved. So even with taking a step back at 
the quarterback position and your weapons, I think this Pitt team is still a very solid team. And I, 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 I'm with you. I think seven and a half, Pitt minus seven and a half is probably the play here if you're going to bet it. Yeah, I also just, just want to talk a little bit more about Pitt in general. Like, I think that they're being a little bit overlooked early in the season, and I think people are putting too much emphasis on the loss of Kenny Pickett and Mark Whipple. This yeah. team is still really, really talented. Like, I, I people don't understand that, basically. They thought, like, last year, oh, that was just, like, the Kenny Pickett magic. That was a one-off year and a bad ACC. But Pitt really did a nice job of – recruiting solid guys and then developing that talent. Pat Narduzzi has done uh, one of the better jobs in the ACC in terms of turning a program into um, what it is right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it, but the defense is really old, a ton of redshirt seniors, and a ton of guys who had playing time from last year. So it should be a really, really solid unit. And then Keaton Slovis, I'm personally a, a pretty big Keaton Slovis fan. I thought that he wasn't given the right opportunity in USC. And I think he can, in in like the right team, which I think Pitt has in terms of weapons around him, I think he could have a really solid season. He also is now leaving playing for Clay Helton and instead playing for Pat Narduzzi. And Pat Narduzzi has actually a pretty good record of quarterbacks now, mm-hmm. now with Nathan Peterman, Kenny Pickett, whereas Clay Helton's quarterback just continuously got worse throughout their tenure playing under him. Let's go to one last game on the Thursday night slate. We have Penn State at Purdue. Penn State is opening at a a three-and-a-half road favorite. Mm -hmm. I'm on Penn Penn State in this. Um, This is one I actually bet, and I I get that Purdue's probably the trendy upset pick here, but the way I've been describing it to people is that there are 22 players that play on a football field between offense and defense, obviously, like at at one time, and Penn State is better at 21 of those positions, which with the one being the quarterback. Like, is could Aiden O'Connell win this game for Purdue? Absolutely. But I think Penn State's a team that's getting really overlooked at the start of the year. I think they're a solid nine and three, eight and four team with a, with a hard schedule. And I think they're going to have a top 10 defense in, in not just in, in the country, honestly. Yeah. I think it's time to reflect on who Aiden O'Connell is as a quarterback, because I think what happened was mm-hmm. they won a lot of games and they beat Michigan state and they won some games they shouldn't have. And they put up pretty, like they put a, pretty crazy numbers compared to other big 10 teams. Like that's the asterisk. Okay. Um, yeah. And then all throughout the off season, you hear, Oh, Aiden O'Connell is Aiden O'Connell is second best quarterback in the big 10. He does all this. And people just seem to just believe that at this point, they're like, Oh, Aiden O'Connell top tier quarterback. I just, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't see it. No, I'm not trying to hate on Purdue. All I'm saying was Aiden O'Connell got a lot of help from the fact that they needed to throw the ball like 50 times a game last year. Okay, so while he put up really good yardage numbers and good good um, yards per play numbers, that was like their offense. Like they needed to do that. And then if you look at Purdue against the top tier defenses from last year, you look at them against like Ohio State, um, it tells a little bit of a different story. Like they put up crazy numbers against 
a lot of the bad teams, like Michigan State in terms of defense, in terms of defense, they're like the worst pass defense in the league, in the country last year. Yeah, they, they were the most thrown against team in the Power Five last yeah. year. And then he struggled a little bit more when it came to playing some of the better defenses. So while I'm not saying that Aiden O'Connell is not a really good quarterback, I'm just saying that he needs to – people need to kind of realize what he is and um, think about him in the context of Purdue football this year. With that being said, I really think Penn State's going to go out and beat Purdue by a solid margin on the road. Yeah, I I uh, think I think that if I just jump in here, I think yeah. that people the, the reason you kind of get these Aiden O'Connell narratives is because there were three times where pa- Purdue was kind of in the national spotlight and like expected to maybe pull, like pull an upset. All three times they did. It was Iowa, Michigan State, and then the bowl game against Tennessee. And let me just go out and say that Michigan, Tennessee, Michigan State, and Tennessee's pass defenses were horrific. They were they like were the worst. They were they like were bottom two percent in the country. Like they were terrible. terrible last year. And Penn State is not only going to have a good pass defense; they're going to get to the quarterback too. So he's not have a ton of time to throw the ball. You throw that on top of the fact that Purdue lost the best defensive player in maybe like the history of their school. And like Karloftis like would single-handedly like get them off the field on, on drives. They don't have that anymore, nor do they have David Bell. So I think this Purdue team is probably the fourth best team in the West still. And I think you'll see that on Thursday night. Yeah. I'm looking at, at some of the weapons that Purdue is, is bringing in. I mean, they brought in transfer um, Charlie Jones from Iowa, who's like, yeah. He's a punt returner. Yeah, he, he was the he's punt return punt. guy. I, I heard that like he's gonna get some run at like X receiver, but we'll see a little bit about that. But mm-hmm. Penn State, listen, Penn State is going to be a much, much improved football team. Um their defense is going to be very good. Yeah. Uh Manny Diaz is the new head man of the defense. We'll see how that turns out. I mean, Manny Diaz gets a bad rap for his head coaching job, but he was he a good defense. He was a good coordinator, yeah. Um, one of the guys I'm really excited about seeing is Mitchell Tinsley. Yeah. Transfer from, I believe, Western Kentucky. He's on like those Bailey Zappi teams. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, he, apparently he's been really electric in practice so far. And then, yeah, I mean, the offensive line, listen, like the offensive line for Penn State is going to be like every other Penn State offensive line under James Franklin. Like mm-hmm. pretty mediocre to not good. Yeah. But they have enough guys around them and their defense is good enough to win a lot of games. And especially win games against teams that aren't going to be a force on defense. So like Penn State's knocking out the pass rush, or Purdue's knocking out the pass rush to be able to disrupt what Penn State wants to do. So yeah, uh, I got Penn also, State easily over that uh, covering the three and a half. Yeah, I also think Penn State's much more talented in their backfield this year. And like you know, replacing Dotson's not easy, but like bringing in a guy in Mitchell Tinsley who had. 1400 yards and 14 touchdowns last year and 87 catches like that's just about as good as you can get yep uh let's go to the games the main games on saturday there's a game on friday we can we can talk about a little bit Ooh, what do you feel about illinois indiana indiana is currently a three-point favorite yeah, that line has come down from five to like three. I want to, I want to say since Saturday, and like that's just natural line line movement because Illinois looks good. I, I'm hesitant to bet on Illinois, even though I think they're the better team 
in this one just because they have to turn around and now play a conference road, road game after playing in week zero and Indiana will be, I guess, more fresh. But I don't know if Indiana's named a starting quarterback between Tuttle and Basilak yet, but bo- both I of them think are, it's, I think it's going to be Tuttle. But both of them are just dreadful. So and then and then of course you bring in Sean Shivers from Auburn. But yeah, this this Indiana team I expect to be the worst in the in the Big Ten. And I've kind of been saying that all offseason. I think Illinois is the better team, but I would be hesitant to bet this one just because of just because of where the line's at. Yeah, I'm staying really far away from this line. This game is just like this. I this game could go either three ways. I feel like okay. First way is that Illinois is just much better in the trenches. Yeah. They dominate the run game. Indiana throws three interceptions, and that's the game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or you can have the game where Illinois is fatigued from from the game last week. Uh, Indiana's better than we expect. And it ends up being a really close game and Indiana and maybe ends up winning at the end. Some craziness happens or which I think is the most likely scenario is that both Illinois and Indiana look really, really bad. And this game ends up 21 to 17 and I don't even care who wins. It'll be one or the other. Um, but I think that's, that's the most likely scenario. Yeah. I, I'm with you there. All right. Let's move on to some of the more interesting matchups on Saturday. Let's start, let's start a little bit smaller with, um, some of the let's do this. Let's do Rutgers Boston College. A little bit of an interesting East Coast matchup. Boston College favored by seven points. This is an interesting one for me because the whole thing with Boston College this offseason is that Fuljerkovic's finally healthy, and of course they bring back back Zay Flowers too. I trust that Boston College's defense will at least be all right because they're going to be well coached. I love Jeff Halfley as a defense a defensive coach, and I think he's done a great job in the two years he's been there. I know last year they dealt with injuries and all sorts of stuff. My concern with Boston College is they've lost a lot of good pieces on the offensive line. And whether or not Rutgers can actually – expose that I think Boston College College just has better players at this point and I think I would take them but I'd stay away from this the seven points I I feel comfortable about potentially teasing that down to one or a pick them yeah. um I actually kind of like Rutgers um in in with the with the plus seven like I I think that they did a, a fairly solid job last year kind of again they lost a lot of games they went five and eight mm-hmm. like they weren't losing how Rutgers normally loses so that's a success for last season yeah and I thought they got a lot better this year um their defense was actually pretty good last year in the Big Ten and they returned a lot of those guys um defensive line is going to be pretty solid kind of like what we saw last year um their secondary is going to be all uh, seniors or redshirt seniors, basically. So they have, I, I trust their defense. Now, the offense, they brought in a lot of guys. <laughs> they brought in a bunch of transfers. They lost their left tackle who went to UCLA. But they brought in Willie Tyler, who, uh, where did he go? Where did Willie Tyler go? He went to... I'm blanking on two. Uh, Louisiana Monroe, I believe. Right. Oh, he, he's been a few places, dude. He's been to, yeah. He's, he was at Texas. He was at Texas. Yeah, he's he's been a few places, but he should be pretty solid. 
Um, their whole offensive line is going to be a little bit of a mystery. Uh, <laughs> a lot of new guys. A lot of transfers there. Yeah, but they have, listen, they have Eric, Aaron Crookshank back, who mm-hmm. is just a good gadget weapon guy. Yeah, um, is probably going to be better u- utilized at Rutgers than he was at Wisconsin. Yeah, they bring in Sean Ryan transfer from West Virginia. I mean, again, like they needed, they just needed guys. Like they needed Big Ten caliber players. Yeah. Um, and then Taj Harris from Syracuse. I yeah, and, and Taj Harris. Who, Taj Harris had, was, was pretty good Yeah. for Syracuse last year. So the offense is going to be rounded out with uh, – I, so I think Noah Vedral is going to start. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, I'm, it I bet he starts bit. originally. Yeah, I personally think Gavin Wimsett probably gives you the best chance to win if you're Rutgers just because you want the ground threat as well. And just that, that dynamic present present, but presence. But Noah Vedral, I mean, he started last year a lot of games. That's all I'm about to say. He, he's yeah, fine. I mean, he's, he's fine. He, he's the the veteran in that room. So but yeah, I, I like Rutgers um with uh plus a seven and a half a plus a seven. I think they're gonna keep pretty close. I trust the defense. I think Boston College is gonna get a little bit um, knocked off guard by how explosive Rutgers can actually be. I mean, they have athletes at the wide receiver position. So, yeah, I, I, I think I'll stick with uh, Rutgers plus seven. Let's go on to – oh, man, there's there's so many games that yeah. have, like, 22-point spreads. Actually, this one's fairly interesting because it's NC State going to East Carolina – NC State favored by eleven and a half. What is your what is your thoughts on this? So this will be my second year betting against East Carolina on the road in the first week. Last year they played, uh, I believe it was App State, and they were a ten and a half point dog, and I bet on App State, and App State covered fairly easily. I'm actually on NC State that for this one. It's one of the ones I feel less confident about on the week on the week, but. North Carolina State is returning something like 19 starters, I want to say. They're going to have much better quarterback play. Their weapons are going to be much better, and I think they're going to beat, beat them up on the line too. So I, I and East Carolina wasn't a awful group of five team last year. I believe they went seven and five. Yeah, seven and five, five and three in, in the conference. They're not as bad as they once were a couple of years ago, but I just think North Carolina State has – the much better players and maybe maybe much better coach as well. So I'll I'll take NC State minus the eleven and this line keeps going up. So yeah, I, I'm I'm not quite sure about this one. I think NC State's a really good football team. I think they're being slightly overranked right now. I agree um, based on what the landscape of the ACC was last year, but this to me has. A little bit of a feeling of like almost like that early season letdown game for some of these teams that ended last season on a really high note, mm-hmm. and it, it to me it seems like what Iowa State was last year, right? Mm-hmm. Both these teams are non traditional powers who don't recruit at a really really high level. They had a really good season one year, and then they were expected to do big things the next season. They kind of just fell a little bit short. Yeah, and I I just get a lot of those vibes from NC State. I don't think that they're as powerful up front on the lines as as people make them out to be. I think that's actually a spot where they can struggle a little bit. 
And again, like I just think that this this NC State team is closer to a top forty caliber than a top twenty caliber. I I have them right around top twenty. I I think there's this myth going on right now that they're like a playoff contender, which I don't believe one bit. You know, they went nine and three last year. They went six and two in the league. And by the way, that was six and two in the conference with beating Clemson. So that's yeah. they're not going to beat Clemson again. But like I think. With the AC, with them returning all these players, with the ACC improving, I think nine and three, eight and four is probably right around where they're going to be again. You know, the two games they lost in the ACC were by a combined four points. They also needed to overtime to beat a Clemson team that was playing absolutely terrible. So mm-hmm. it it kind of goes both both ways with them. I think they'll probably beat up on some less experienced teams, but I don't think they're anything close to the playoff contender that some people will tell you they are. Yep. Let's go a little bit quicker through some of these early matchups. North Carolina at App State, a really close. Like this, this line is is shrinking right now. It's UNC yeah. minus one and a half. I'm actually oh. on App State this this week. Um, this was this was the one I'm on. I was on like way before, um, way before even last week, and and last week kind of just justified it because UNC did not look very good last week. The Drake May looked good, but the rest of their team. Not really. I just think App State is just going to come out and be more prepared. They get the game at home. And I'm, I think if what Florida A&M was doing against UNC last last week, I struggle to see how App State's not going to do that. Plus, they start – App State's starting Chase Bryce, a quarterback who has kind of been there, been a couple different spots now. But he was, once was at Clemson, so he's actually fairly talented. I think this is a good spot for App State. Yeah, I was. I mean, I watched a lot of the North Carolina game earlier this week, and mm-hmm. while I liked what Drake May did, I was really scared on what I saw in, in terms of like what they did defensively. Like, I thought that there was they were just way too soft mm-hmm. on the defensive side of the ball. And App State, for those who really follow college football and have watched a lot of App State football, they are like the opposite of a soft team like yeah they will run the ball as as long as it takes to score and i think that poses a real threat to unc um i was really like impressed with omarion hampton the freshman running back who UNC mm-hmm. out yeah. there. He, he was actually really good um same with josh downs but again they, they have the skill position guys they have the speed advantage but i don't think they have the physicality that app state is going to bring so yeah i mean I, with you. I like app state Skill position guys have really never been the problem ever since Mac Brown got to UNC. But you know, this is a this is an App State team that like they're not going to shy away from from beating you up on the line. You know, they they almost won at Miami last last year. It was a 25 20, 23 game. They beat Coastal Coastal Carolina, who has very good line play. Yep. So this is this is going to be a tough one for, for UNC. I I actually I do think App State's going to win this. Now, now, if if we're right and App State wins this, what does this mean for North Carolina and Mac Brown? If I'm being perfectly honest, I think Mac Brown is this could be his last year anyway. Like yeah, I, I, he was. He seemed like he was heading that way. Like you got through the Sam Howell era, you had a couple really good recruiting classes. It didn't end up working out. Like yeah. this, like. This this could be it for him. He he's he's really old. It's it seems like his time may be up. 
Yep. Let's go to, oh, actually, before we go into the bigger matchups, there's one matchup that I want to emphasize that I don't think people are talking about. Arizona going to San Diego State. San Diego yeah. State is minus six points. I'll mm-hmm. start with this one because, again, we talked about this on, on, on the last After Whistle Pac-12 overview, but I am really big on Arizona this year. Um, I, I think that they are completely being written off as one of the classic Arizona teams of the past where they're one of the worst teams in, in the Power 5 level. But don't let that fool you. Arizona has a, a, a talented roster this year. I think that Arizona is going to come out looking really good. And um, San Diego State, again, is one of those teams that they had a really good season last year, but they also lost a lot of players. Mm-hmm. The team was filled with a lot of fifth-year, COVID-year um, guys who really made them, made them so hard to beat at the group of five level. And then when you look at Arizona, it's kind of the opposite. Like Arizona, a lot of their key contributors are younger players um, from those solid Jed Fish recruiting classes that he's had recently. And I, listen, I'm excited to see Jaden Delora play. I think he, he should start, right? He's, he's definitely going to start. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, I'm just, I'm super excited for this team. I, I think that they're going to win. And I think everyone's going to be talking about it the next day of like what can Arizona be in the Pac-12? Yeah, this is one I'm not specifically betting on, but I do think that people are really underrating Arizona. They're a team that, you know, they kind of got written off last year because they were by far the worst team in the Pac-12. They're not going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. In fact, I'd be pretty surprised if they were worse than Colorado. They, they will be better than Colorado. By the way, their win total is at three wins, okay? They can go over three wins. Yeah, I, I think that they should have a pretty solid passing attack. You know, Jaden Delar is a guy that threw for just under 3,000 yards last year, 23 touchdowns, nine interceptions. And, you know, they have a solid receiving group, group too, that's led by Jacob Cowling, who's maybe the most underrated receiver in the country. So this is a group that, you know, they're going to be playing transfers. They're going to be playing freshmen. But I also think they're going to be probably better than people will give them credit. Yep. Okay, let's go to the big boys. I, re- I want to spend a little bit more time on these games. Let's start with what I think is, is one of the more interesting matchups of week one. Uh, we have Florida against Utah. What are your initial thoughts? So... You know, the, the three-point spread is weird because, like, the way last season ended, like, Florida and lose, losing their bowl game to, to UCF, just having a dreadful year all around, and then and Utah closing the season by blowing out Oregon twice and then going wire-to-wire wire with Ohio State with, like, running backs playing, playing in the secondary for them. I think that I, – I, my pick is Florida. I'm picking Florida to win, win this game. But if Utah does win this game, which is probably the more likely outcome, it's going to be because they have one of the most veteran coaching staffs in the country, and they're better up front on both sides of the ball, and they're way more prepared. So I I think that if Florida wins this game, it's going to be because their offensive line plays really well, and they run the ball well, and then Anthony Richardson makes some good plays and key spots. Yeah, I'm not ready to believe fully in Florida yet. I like what Billy Napier has done. Um, 
again, like Dan Mullen did a really nice job, but yeah. uh, there were some flaws within the program as a whole that I think are going to come out a little bit this year. They were not recruiting at, a, at an elite level um, for the last few classes. No. Billy Napier hopes to change that, but I think Which Utah's – yeah. That's exactly but, why Mullen got fired. It had nothing to do with on-field results. Oh, it was 100% why he got fired. I mean, he, he didn't like to recruit, and that's reflected yeah. in, in the team they have this year. Yeah, I mean, it's also – I don't know if you remember the kind of, like, back-and-forth exchange in press conferences that him and Kirby Smart had la- yeah. last year, which was just, like, a really bad look for oh, all yeah. people. I thought he was a fantastic on-field coach, but, you know, it, being at Florida, playing the competition you do in the SEC, like, you, you need to be able to recruit. And that's also why Brian Harson's probably going to get fired this year. Yep. I mean, I, I think Utah I, – I, I've said – I've hyped up Utah so much this year. Um, they're just a really, really good football team. To me, they remind me of Michigan from last year. Yeah. Um, a team that is just going to – like, I, and, and listen, I, I don't like saying this because it shouldn't be true, but Utah has a better team than Florida. Like, they're going in on the road with the better roster. Like, they have better players than Florida right yeah, now. Yeah, they do. And so, in that case, you say, okay – Utah's got the guys. Now, what about the coaching? And however good Billy Napier is, um, he's not going to be as good as, as Cal Winningham. That, that's and very true. And so, again, it's hard to go play in the swamp. But Utah is, is – that the team is made for games like this, tough games on the road, that they're just going to be better than you at everything. They're going to be better on special teams. They're going to be better up front. And they're just going to, like, win the game the way they're going to win the game. You, you, I hate, I hate saying this because, like, this like almost like shouldn't shouldn't be the case. But this like Utah can probably slip up in conference and still make the playoff at twelve and one as a conference champion. They can't lose this game. Oh no, 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 you, no! Listen, if you're Utah and you and you want to make the next step, you can't lose this. This is a chance to go on the road, be an SEC team. Mm-hmm. And basically show that like you mean business, and yeah. I think they can do that. And like if if they do lose this game, like you you like you're you're only in. Let's say they lose the game and run the table, which like is probably unlikely considering only one team ever has went ten and zero in in conference play in a single season. If Utah loses this game, you will have likely just lost to at best the third best team in the SEC East, and you lose to a team that is probably going to get beaten by a team that you're competing with to make the playoff in Georgia. Yeah. So this is a must win. Yep. Let's move on to another matchup. Let's go to ooh, Cincinnati, Arkansas. Here we go. In Fayetteville, Arkansas minus six. I'll start this one off by saying Cincinnati has you guys fooled. You, you are being like, there, there is, I don't know what it is, but someone's out there. That's pushing the Cincinnati still elite narrative, and I'm here to say no. Okay, <laughs> like they they um, might go they might go nine and three and w- win American games, but like you you look up and down the Arkansas roster, and you look up and down the, the Cincinnati roster, and I, I, I'm I took Arkansas in my in a teaser because I got them down from six to a pick them, but 
they're the second half of my pit Arkansas teaser and but like th- this could be this could this could be ugly. Arkansas is a really tough place to play at and th- th- it's going to be rocking on on Saturday for a team that quite frankly is probably going to be figuring some things out on the fly because Arkansas's offensive line is really good and they're going to get beat up up front and frankly Cincinnati doesn't have the secondary that they did do la- that they did last year. So it, like I know that Arkansas lost Traylon Burks, but Jaden Hazelwood, Matt Landers, Warren Thompson, Keetron Jackson's not even get starting for this team. Like th- their weapons might might be deeper than they were last year. Yeah, and, and also from the Cincinnati side, they just lost. Like they lost everyone. Mm-hmm. They lost linemen. They lost wide receivers. They lost running back. They lost Jerome Ford, Desmond Ritter, half their secondary. Um, like I hate to say it, but there's like there's almost no one else on this team. Like yeah, these no, are all guys who were too deep last year. They're, they're gonna have to be doing some real soul searching after Saturday. Listen, dude, if Cincinnati ends up beating Arkansas this week, I am ready for all the hot takes about Luke Fickle going to wherever job he wants. Yeah, he deserves I, it. Okay, I am too. But yeah, I, I, I Arkansas by two touchdowns. Yeah, this 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 one could get ugly. Yep. Uh, let's go to. Oh yeah, let's go to Oregon at Georgia. Uh, Georgia is a huge favorite, seventeen points. Yeah. What's so, uh, I feel like I've, I've seen different things on here. I feel like people have, have really liked the under, or people have really liked Oregon, and people have really liked Georgia on the points. So I've heard the things about the under too. Um, I think I'm going to end up betting Georgia minus seventeen, and for for one reason. Oregon's used to probably beating teams up front on on the line play. Like, you know, they killed Ohio State up there last year, and that's how they beat teams in the Pac-12. And as soon as they saw a team in the Pac-12 with just as good line play as them or better line play, they got blown out by Utah twice. So I think they're, Oregon's really solid defensively. I actually like them a ton. I think they're a top 15 team. But this this Georgia team – you know, if 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 you can't beat them up front, or at least compete with them up front, and and I th- don't think Oregon can. I this could and this could be an interesting one. I, yeah, um, Georgia might be better than last year. I don't. I don't and, know if I would go that far, but I, I think when like I don't know. I've been looking the last like every day, but the the two forty seven ta- college team talent will not come out for some reason, and. I'm excited to see when it does because I think Georgia's probably going to be just around this same talent level. The difference is this year, I think they're probably a little more inexperienced. Yeah, but like, I don't see a step back from the defense. I see a small one, but you know, mm-hmm. if, you look, if you look up and down their defense, like they're run, they're, Georgia against the run is going to be insane. Like, Jalen Carter will clog up every single gap possible. Nolan Smith should be one of the best edge rushers in the country. And then I really like their secondary with Keeley Ringo, Christopher Smith, Dan Jackson at free safety. You rotate a couple tr- true freshmen in there. Like th- this team should still be super talented. And then uh, on offense, you know, they have probably a top five offensive line in the country, if not top three. And they have the deepest weapons weapon group of anybody in the country by far. Like they go, five or six deep at receiver and if they need to four deep at tight end so 
and they, they have two good ca- pass catching backs. I mean, they're going to. I'm telling rotate. you, I, I think this team, I think Georgia's better than last year. They're going to be rotating guys in and out at skill positions, and teams are going to have no idea what's coming out of them. How do you stop Eric Gilbert and Brock Bowers lined up on your safeties? You could have them at the same at the same time. You, you could you could line up. You could theoretically line up Washington, Bowers, Gilbert, and Delp out there and create mismatches pretty much anywhere. It, it, it's it's actually absurd. Like uh, like Oscar Delp, I don't know how much you've seen of him, but like, well, he, I know, yeah, I know him. He would start for he would start for a lot of Power Five teams. Oh no! He, he at the end of the recruiting cycle, he, he was a top tier tight end prospect. Yeah, I mean he, he's he's ridiculous, and he's their fourth best tight end on the roster. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I and I do like Oregon this year, and I, and I do like Dan Lanning. I think he's gonna do a really solid job there. But uh, this is a game you're slightly outmatched, and yeah. you're gonna lose by twenty points, and you're just gonna be fine with it. Yeah, P- people will people will say that. Oh, Dan Lanning knows this team because he was the defensive coordinator at Georgia last year. Like, oh, it is. You can know what plays they're going to call. I can sit there coaching Oregon and I know exactly what play Georgia will call, and I will still lose by 15 points. Yeah, just because your talent level is so much worse. They're better. They're better than Oregon. They are. They are just better. And like, yeah, I I don't want to continuously knock Oregon because I do think they're a really good team, and I have them in the Pac-12 championship this year, but. The, the the talent gap in this game is is going to be on full display. Okay, let's go to the big boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ohio State playing Notre Dame. I am I'm I'm ex- so excited for this game. And I was thinking the other day, so I was trying to say like, okay, from a fan perspective, as a Michigan fan, like who do I want to win this game? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find an answer <laughs> because like. <laughs> If both if okay if Ohio State wins right then it's like okay like Ohio State is is they don't have the excuse from last year that it was just a it was just a um, a, a bad defense from last yeah, year yeah re- rebuilding year yeah re- you can't have two rebuilding years in a row but <laughs> um, but if Notre Dame wins it's like okay like I really don't like Notre Dame either but um, at least they beat Ohio State. <laughs> that was just my little thought process, but I'm so excited for this game. I, I think Ohio State, I don't think it's going to be very close, but I think the first half is going to say a lot about the direction these two programs are in. Yeah. So just like thinking this over, so Ohio State, obviously, like they bring in, like they have a bunch of new starters on on defense, which I think alone should make them just better. And, you know, they have all these these shiny toys but i think their probably best addition in the offseason was their defensive coordinator jim knowles who they brought in from oklahoma state however if you expect that this ohio state defense is just going to play to the caliber that oklahoma state was playing at last year on defense you're probably going to be wrong because when you bring in these high profile coordinators who like granted are really good coaches it takes a while to adjust to the new system. You 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 are a Michigan fan. You saw this a couple years ago with Josh Gaddis. So if you think this Ohio State defense is just going to be one of the top five defenses in the country right right away, like I don't think you're correct on that. They're talented, sure, but I think in the first half, Notre Dame could maybe expose them um a little bit. 
Yeah, and listen, the the Jim Knowles thing is really interesting because do you know how long it took Jim Knowles to get the Oklahoma State defense to do what he wanted last year? Oh, long, it took like a, a, a few years to actually get him playing at like a, a top even 20 level. Yeah, um, a few years and newer players. Yeah, and I don't – Jim Knowles' defense is, is a special type because – it's an ultra aggressive, um, like five defensive back system. So you already run into some problems if you don't have the personnel. If you don't have defensive backs, you're going to be able to fly in the run game and eat up blocks and also make tackles in the backfield. Then you're going to have a problem because you're going to get run all over. Yeah, and, I, like I, I think Ohio State's pretty deep on the defensive line. You know, those la last couple of recruiting classes have have shown that. I expect CJ Hicks, the freshman linebacker, to play a lot actually, because some some of these guys on the defense on defense just like were not that good last year. So yeah, their their I linebacker expect... play their linebacker yeah. play was was pretty terrible last year. Yeah, and I think that would be a lot better. I I know that Steel Chambers was kind of new to the position last year because he he moved positions, and then Tommy Eichenberg as well, but. Yeah, there that that linebacker play needs to be fixed fast, and you know when you bring in the number one linebacker in the country, that probably will help the cause. Yeah, and I don't know if it's it push back on me if 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 you disagree, but I actually don't think that Ohio State's secondary is up to the caliber that they usually have either. Like I think last year and this year, I mean they have Denzel Burke who was really good a yeah. few years ago, but like. I mean, Ronnie Hickman's a really talented player, but like we saw him last year against Oregon and Michigan, like he was, I mean, he was getting moved around. Like he, he just wasn't playing up to that caliber that we normally see from Ohio State. Yeah, I think Denzel Burke is a really good player and Grant, granted still young. I think Hickman's all right. Haven't been too impressed by Josh Proctor the last couple of years. And then Cam Brown, I think is just okay. Like the, the, I think, one of the problems with the, with this defense is, or at least the secondary, I should say, is like in, in 2019 when their secondary was maybe the best in the country, they were just so deep. Like they, they rotated guys in and out, you know, your three corners were Okuda, Arnett, you were playing Sean Wayne in the slot. So I, I don't think this Ohio state defense is quite as deep in the secondary as it would like to be. And I think there are going to be some games where, Maybe not in the regular season, but when you get into the playoff and you're playing a team like Georgia or a team like Alabama, and th those guys are sp spreading out four, five wide, and you can't line up against that, I think that's where they probably get exposed. Yeah. And then just to, to go Ohio State from an offensive perspective, I don't think they're going to take a step back at all. Um, no, I think they're going to be unbelievable. They're, they're going to be really good. Um, the one weakness that they had – last year was just taking sacks and, and pressure and that could still be an issue um even though uh paris johnson and um dewan jones get really high draft grades they still i mean they still struggled at times last year so yeah we'll i mean that's improved this has the potential to be maybe the best ohio state offensive line in years but yeah. we'll see it's 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 all on paper right now but even even then they're so yeah. deep at, at receiver and they're going to score a ton of points. Yeah, no, they're going to be really good. And now uh, talking about Notre Dame side, um, I, I kind of went back and forth on Notre Dame because 
I think that they have a good team, but there's something missing when I, I rewatched a lot of their games last year. And I know yeah. like I get different coaching staff. I focused on the Notre Dame Oklahoma State game because that was Notre Dame Marcus Freeman against Jim Knowles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and what I saw didn't <laughs> didn't give me hope for what this game could be. Because <laughs> Notre Dame was not running the ball like Notre Dame usually does. And Notre Dame was relying really, really heavily on Matthew Meyer, who's, again, he, he's back, and he's going to be probably second-best tight end in the country. He's going to be yeah. incredible. But beyond that, I was really um, I was really whelmed by the wide receiver talent they had. They bring back Lorenzo Styles, um, who should be solid. Uh, but they have – I mean, looking at the wide receiver core is like – they're starting a few sophomores, really young group. Yeah. Just, Avery Davis has just been all right for a couple yeah. of years now. Yeah. And then, and Jarrett Patterson, I believe got injured um, early mm-hmm. in the camp. So like he's I mean, one of the best offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen, linemen in the country. Yeah. Then, I mean, if, if Notre Dame stays in this game, it's going to be because their offensive line is playing really well and they're moving the ball on the ground, but even then, like I don't think Chris Tyree is as good as a couple of the past no- running backs that Notre Dame's had. Yeah, and then Tyler Buckner, we haven't seen much from him. We saw a little bit. I I'm really not sure. <laughs> yeah, is, I'm not. I'm not this either. is interesting. This is interesting because you see what he's made out of in this game. Even if you lose, you can still lose in a way that makes you confident in the future. Yeah, and Buckner like- shows up. Notre Dame has never really been a, a program, at least under Brian Kelly, that's had these like super ultra talented quarterbacks. And, you know, like having a game manager at quarterback and running the ball really effectively and playing unbelievable defense, like could, could work against a lot of teams. And I think that the style of, of play that they will use is going to work against a lot of teams, but I don't think it's going to work against the Ohio state team. That'll just, on offense, get the ball to playmakers in, in space and go at it. Yeah, I've got Ohio State winning by a lot, but I still think even if they win by a lot, I'm really just curious to see how these teams look and how, yeah. how players step up. Yeah, I think this is a three-touchdown game. Okay. that's There you have it. That's going to wrap up our week one picks. Um, again, thanks for coming on, Jonathan. This was a ton of fun. May, we might have to make this a weekly thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm usually I won't have to do it this early with the Thursday games too. Yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll probably be able to actually create like a normal plan, but <laughs> yeah, this was a ton of fun. I'm super excited for the games this week. Uh, once again, see you guys later next week and go blue.